We've been in a series and just concluded uh, this Minor Prophet series that Pastor Charlie has taken us through. has been such a wonderful uh, reminder of all the lessons in the Old Testament and, and the, the, the prophetic words of these minor prophets to the kings. And today we're going to look at another king that was important in Israel, probably the most noted king, the most celebrated king, and that's King David. But did you know this? David wasn't the first king of Israel. So Israel was ruled by judges for a while. The last, technically the last judge was Samuel. He was a prophet. The people cried out, we want a king. God gave him a king. Anybody remember, any Bible scholars? What king did God give him? It wasn't David, it was, it was Saul. Saul started pretty decent, ended up pretty bad. And uh, in came David. So off went, off went Saul, in came David. David was celebrated, he was a great king. David was, I think, first of all, a worshiper. I think that's one reason why David was so celebrated and so successful, is that he was a worshiper. Even as a shepherd boy, he would write songs. A lot of the Psalms are attributed to, to David. He knew how to play instruments to the point that when Saul was the king and there were these evil spirits that were afflicting him, they would bring David in and he would play his instruments and it would soothe Saul. That's how gifted David was. David was a gifted warrior. He, he, could, he learned as a shepherd how to defeat bears and, and different wild animals. And even while Saul could slay his thousands, so they sang, David would slay his tens of thousands. He was even a greater warrior than Saul was. But for all of David's accolades, David had a downfall. And you know, sometimes you wonder why things are put in the Bible. Lord, why did you allow certain things to be put in there? But, you know, this gives us a, a picture of David that is very real. If all we saw were all of David's good points, we, we would have maybe a skewed picture of not only David's character, but of God's grace and his working through David's life. So we're going to look at a story today that God allowed to be in the Bible. It's in the book of 2 Samuel. And it is a, a sad story about David. It's an unfortunate story. It's a story where David, he really messed up. So let's look today. We're going to read it off the screen here. Second Samuel starting. We're in verse 11 or chapter 11, verse one. The Bible says in the spring of the year, the time when the kings go out to battle. Let me say that again. It was the spring of the year and the kings go out to battle. David sent Joab, Joab was the commander of the army, and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. So most of the time you go out, but David remained at Jerusalem. So we'll move on to verse two. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the, from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Okay, before we move on, do you get what has happened so far? David didn't go where he was supposed to go. He stayed at home. He's the king. 
His palace is up high. It's above everything else. He can see his whole kingdom. He sees Bathsheba. He calls for her. He lays with her, as the Bible says. They conceive a child. Now, I'm going to summarize the next few verses, and then we'll pick back up, because otherwise it would be a long discourse here on the screen. So David messes up here. But he says, I, I got a plan. I'm going to concoct this plan. I'm going to have her husband, Uriah the Hittite, I'm going to call him in, bring him in. I'm going to tell him, go home. Be with your wife. That'll cover up this pregnancy. They'll think it's Uriah's child. I'm good. I'm golden. So he tries to do this plan. He starts following it out. He calls Uriah home. Uriah comes home. And being the noble, righteous guy that Uriah is, he says, how can I go home and relax? How can I be with my wife when my fellow soldiers are out fighting? I can't do that. So there's bump number one in David's plan. So David concocts another plan. I'll get him drunk. And then in his drunkenness, he'll have worse judgment. He'll go home. It'll be okay. So he gets him drunk. They have a feast in the palace. But instead of going home, Uriah pretty much just passes out in a stupor on the front of the palace. Doesn't go home. So there's bump number two in David's plan. So he's thinking, what am I going to do? How am I going to cover up my sin? How am I going to cover up this pregnancy? Now we're going to pick up in, in verse 14. So after all that happened in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. So did you catch this part of the story? Not only did David concoct a plan to basically murder Uriah, but did you see that the letter that went out to Joab that had the plan, he gave it to Uriah sealed up and said, here, take this to the commander. Take this to Joab. Well, isn't that sadly ironic that Uriah was carrying his own death sentence in his hand? was such a righteous guy, was such a loyal servant to David, he delivered his own death sentence right to the commander. Joab, of course, he did what the king said, pulled back, Uriah's dead. So now in, in David's mind, problem solved. Messy way to solve the problem, but he thinks problem solved. Got it done. This morning, I want to share with you a thought about a slippery slope. We all know what a slippery slope is, right? We've heard that expression. It's when you get into a situation and you think it's going to be one way, but it turns out to be something very different from what you intended. See, David was in a slippery slope situation. When he decided to stay home at the palace instead of being where he should have been, going out in the, in the field and fighting with the army, he, I'm sure, had no idea of the end of this whole, what, what that decision would mean, what the consequences, how it would play out in his life. I'm sure he wasn't thinking about all of that. He just thought, I'm gonna, I, I've slayed a bunch of people. I, I've won a lot of wars already. I'm King David. I think I deserve a little bit of rest. I'm gonna stay home. Made that decision. 
And look how it played out. It was a, one thing led to another, almost innocently. He wasn't doing anything wrong, it was just on the rooftop. And then temptation happened. Then he gave in to the temptation. Then the cover-up came. It just kept, it was a slippery slope. The beginning of this slippery slope happened because David, number one, lost his ear. Everybody say ear. All right, stick with me on this. We're going to do some rhyming today. David lost his ear. He wasn't hearing from the Lord. He wasn't in the place that he was supposed to be. If he had been hearing from the Lord, he would have been out there fighting with the battle. He would have avoided this whole situation. But no, David decided, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to turn off the, the ears of my heart and I'm not going to listen to the voice of the Lord and be where I'm supposed to be, but I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to be where I want to be. And so often, that's what happens in our own lives, is we lose our ear. We stop hearing from the Lord. And just like David was in the wrong physical location, oftentimes we find ourselves in the wrong physical location. We stop listening to the voice, to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and we find ourselves in places we should not be. Now, maybe it's not a sin to be in that place, but maybe that's not where the Lord wants you to be. And see, that's the easy part. We can rationalize and say, but, but God, look, there's all these other people here. It's okay for them. Why isn't it okay for me? I'll tell you why. Because no two people are the same. What you struggle with is not what I struggle with. What I struggle with is different from what you struggle with. And God custom tailors his message to each of our hearts because he knows us. He created us. He knows where your struggles are. And he's trying to help us. And he says, for you, don't be here. For this person, yeah, it's okay. But for you, I'm looking out for you. Don't be here. And if we lose our ear, if we don't hear from the Lord anymore, we will find ourselves in places that we should never be. Sometimes those places can look innocent, Maybe on the outside, it, it seems like a fine establishment, whatever, neighborhood, part of town, restaurant, whatever it is. But maybe for you, there's something there that's lurking underneath. Maybe you have a history there. Maybe you have a previous relationship there. Maybe for everybody else, that's a fine place, but you know how to do something, get something, whatever in that place that is not for you. It's not just a physical location that can be a stumbling block to us. Sometimes it's our spiritual place, where we are spiritually. Sometimes it's not just about being in the wrong place at the wrong time like David was. Sometimes it's about spiritually, maybe we're doing all the right stuff on the outside. We're getting up, getting the kids ready, getting everybody to school, going to work. Maybe we're singing in the choir. We're working in children's ministry, we're doing outreach, we're coming home, we're living life. Whatever we're doing, we're doing all this stuff, but on the inside, spiritually, we're in a bad place. On the outside, everything looks okay. But on the inside, we're just totally dry spiritually. We're just going through the motions. Maybe we're even doing ministry, but we're still just going through the motions. That can happen, you know. You can be doing the Lord's work, and on the inside, it's like your heart is a desert. That, that is not a place that the Lord has called any of us to be. 
That is another location. That is a place where you have to get a hold of the Lord and say, God, I, I'm losing your ear. I'm losing my ear to you. I can't hear you. I need you to speak. I need, I need you to be like a stream in the desert in my heart. It's not just enough for me to be physically in the right location, but spiritually, I need to be in the right location. I need to be able to hear from you. We cannot lose our ear. This morning, I challenge you. Are you losing your ear to the Lord? Are you still hearing clearly, Lord, this is where I should be. This is where I should not be. This is where I am spiritually. This is what he's calling me to do, to be. It's a slippery slope. God is warning us, don't lose your ear. Don't stop hearing where God is directing you. Maybe you're not sinning yet. Maybe technically you're okay. Maybe by the book, you're still, but you're living as close to the edge as possible. Danger, danger. Don't be there. Don't lose your ear. Now, because David lost his ear, because he, he, he couldn't hear the voice of the Lord, he was in a place that he shouldn't have been. And because he was in that place, he sinned. He messed up. He did cross. The, he, he didn't just get to the edge. He went over the edge. He did what he shouldn't have done. But now here's the thing. Let me, let me just say this. In life, until we get to heaven, we will struggle with sin. We will have a sin problem in our lives. But let me tell you the difference. This is, I'm going toward the Lord and I'm striving and I mess up but I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna keep on striving for the Lord. Versus, well, I've got a sin problem, keeps happening over and over, but oh well, it is what it is. I guess this is just who I am. This is just what I struggle with. I, I just, basically it's a, it's a spirit of resignation. I just resign myself to this sinful nature that's in my life. There's a huge difference between I mess up, but I'm pressing toward the Lord versus I've just basically given up to a sinful nature, gratifying my flesh, doing what I know is wrong, but I'm just tired of fighting it. I don't want to anymore. So I'm just going to give myself over to it. Those are two very different things. And in this instance over here, this is where David was. And when there was conviction in David's heart, he fought off the conviction. He allowed his heart to be hardened and he lost his tear. So first he lost his ear. But then when his, he was convicted of his sin, he lost his tear. Because when we're convicted of sin, it should break us. We should be to the point of tears where we say, oh God, I am so sorry that I, I failed you. I'm so sorry that I messed up. Oh God, save me. You know, there's a song that we used to sing uh, years ago. I used to play, play this for, for Hope Johnson. She's a great singer, used to be here. Does he still feel the nails every time I fail? Does he hear the crowd yell crucify again? Am I causing him pain? I know I have to change. I just can't bear the thought of hurting him. That was the chorus of that song. That's the kind of brokenness that we need. That's the kind of tear that we need. That's the kind of contrite, repentant heart that we need. And we need to be careful when we lose our tear. We need to be careful when we get over here and we just resign ourselves to sin. We just give ourselves over. 
doesn't matter how many times you've stumbled. Get up, repent, get back to the Lord, keep pressing on. You know, the sign of a mature believer isn't necessarily perfection. It's not going to happen anyway. Let's just be real. Not till we get to heaven. The sign of a mature believer is how quickly do you repent when God convicts your heart over something? How quickly do you turn back to the Lord? Is there a time lapse that begins to happen between the time that you mess up and God begins to convict you and you turn back? Or are, are you just, if you see that time increasing, warning, that's another warning. A mature believer quickly acknowledges, oh God, I'm sorry, I'm still sensitive to you. God, don't let me lose my softness. Lord, don't let my heart become hard. Lord, don't let me just resign myself to this sinful nature. I will not give myself over to this. I will serve you with all of my might, with all of my heart, with all of my strength. I will receive his grace and I will press on toward the prize. That's gotta be our heart. We cannot resign ourselves to sin. We cannot lose our tear. We cannot lose our brokenness. We cannot lose our spirit of repentance. You know, as we grow in the Lord, there are things on the outside that are very obvious that God works on. You know, there are things that, that are, we, you might struggle with. Everybody can tell, everybody sees. And as God chips away at that, then it becomes a little more internal. Maybe things are not so obvious but that doesn't mean that God isn't still sanctifying us, that God isn't still making us more like him. You know, it's, we talked about this earlier. It's not just a matter of what you're doing, that you're up here singing or teaching or reaching out or something like that, but it's why. Why are you doing it? Why are you giving somebody that meal? Why are you singing that note? Is there something inside that the Lord needs to work on? We'll never know. We'll never, other people may not, you could, you can fake everybody out, but you're not going to fake out God because God isn't looking on the outside. He's not judging by the outside. He's judging by the inside. He's looking at our heart and we, we, we can't just think we've arrived. We've got to continue to have that, that spirit of having a tear, of having brokenness, of allowing the Lord to continue to chisel away at us. And that comes through repentance. So David lost his ear. Then he lost his tear. And then he tried to cover it up and because he could care less about the consequences of what he was covering up, he lost his fear. David, instead of coming before the Lord and saying, God, I, I, you got to fix this for me. He said, I'm going to cover this up myself. I'm going to make a plan. And, and look how David fell. The Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart. And here we have a man after God's own heart that number one, he had an affair with Bathsheba and then he basically ordered a hit on her husband. And as the king, he could do it. I, I mean, these people trusted him. He's the king. He's supposed to be the one that, that looks out over his, his, the people in his kingdom. He's the protector. He's a provider. He, he's, he's honored. And what does he do? He abuses his power has an affair, and then has the guy killed. How horrible. I don't think you can get much lower than that. And yet this is a, a guy that the Bible says is a man after God's own heart. 
this is, this is sad. David lost his fear. David not only lost his fear of God, and I'm not suggesting that we live in, in fear of God, but I am suggesting that we have a holy reverence toward the Lord. We need to have a fear in the sense that God is holy and, and I need to know who I'm talking to when I talk to him. Part of God's character is Abba Father. That is wonderful. But part of God's character is Holy Judge. And we need to have the right reverence when we, when we approach him. But David lost his fear of God. But not only his fear of God, David lost his fear of the consequences. You know, apart from, from we think God's going to strike us for something, theology, you know, in life, when you do stuff, there's consequence. There are biblical laws. That which you sow, you shall also reap. It's going to happen. You, you sow this, you, you put out a hit on Uriah, you, you kill the guy, you're going to reap something out of that. But David had no fear of that. And if I could be quite honest with you this morning, as I look around in the current state of our world, this is the spirit that has overtaken our society. It's this crazy fearlessness in people's lives. People have no fear. They have no fear of, of what, what will happen to them when they pass away. They have no fear of other people. They have no fear of consequences. They definitely have no fear of the Lord. There's no fear of God in people's hearts. It's me, me, me all the time, time, time. I'm going to do what I want to do. You tell me what, what uh, agrees with me, then you're my friend. You disagree with me, doesn't matter how true you are, you're not my friend anymore. I push you aside. That's the world that we live in. And that's the world that the, the, the Bible predicts will come at the end of time. That people, it says, people will heap unto themselves with itching ears, people who will tell them what they want to hear. If there was ever an age where you could find somebody, where you could pull a device out of your pocket and find somebody, somebody with the tie, a quote preacher, who, who would tell you what you want to hear, it's today. And somebody who's telling you something that could be very much the truth, and I, I know that what I'm preaching today is not a popular message, is not something that we hear very much, but the thing is, it's the truth. What am I going to do? The Bible says I'm going to stand before the one whose eyes are like fire, and I'm going to give an account for my ministry. I'm going to give an account for what I said. And if this is what the Lord has put on me, I would much rather have an awkward conversation with you here than an awkward conversation with him in glory. And, but the problem is, today, it, we had the spirit of narcissism. It's all about me, selfies and preachers with stuff going in front on Instagram or whatever. And it's, you know, it's, it's, so, it's not even like biblical. If Paul walked in, Apostle Paul, he'd be like, who, who are you? What is this? Nothing against social media outlets. We, we, we use that to reach people too. But I'm just I'm saying our society has just gotten swept up in this idea that, that it, it's, it's about a popularity contest and we need people to tell us what we want to hear so that I can live my, my, my life the way I want to live it and don't come and challenge me and don't tell me what the Bible says and don't do anything that's going to make me uncomfortable or make me have to, quote, repent or turn on my wicked way. No. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I want to go where I want to go. That's the ways of the world. But that is not God's ways. And when we start living like that, that's a sure sign that we have lost our ear, that we have lost our tear, 
and that we have lost our fear. This spirit of blindness has so overtaken this world. And, you know, I'm, I'm 41 years old, so I'm, I'm still pretty young. But even in, even in the 41 years that I've, I've been on this earth, I have not seen anything like what's happening around us right now. And there are people who are older than me that agree that what is going on in this world is, is different. There is something happening. And spiritually, we need to have our eyes open to what's going on. You know, Pastor Charlie and I were talking about this last week, that there, there was a pastor we heard, and, and he said that it seems like this in the church right now. You've got the, the people who are for the Lord. They are sold out, and they are getting sharper. And then you've got people who are against the Lord, the spirit of Antichrist, and they are getting more hateful. And this middle group, the mushy middle, they're gone. It's like they disappeared. They're out of churches. They're out of, it's, you're, you're either getting hot for the Lord or you're getting cold. But we live in a world right now where the, the, the straddle the fence group is dwindling and disappearing. It's like what Jesus said to the church at Laodicea. You are neither hot nor cold, but you are lukewarm. So I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Doesn't that line up with where things are headed right now? People aren't hot. They're not cold. They're lukewarm. And God is saying, you got to go. I'm going to spew you out. Look at churches. I can tell you churches are different now than they were a year ago. Churches are not the same. We see, we talked about this last week, churches that we never thought you would think even have a prayer meeting. Suddenly they're praying, having prayer meeting. Thank God for that. We need more prayer. Amen. Bible says my house shall be called a house of prayer, not a house of singing, worship, all that has its place. But my house shall be called a house of prayer is what is supposed to identify God's house. That's what this is supposed to be about. And we see houses of whatever turning into houses of prayer. Thank the Lord for that. But then we see this other thing happening too, where the spirit of hate is just strangling people and the fear is gone. I'm going to live like me as, as the way I want to live as much as I want to. And you're not going to tell me any different. Not only is there a healthy fear of the Lord that is absent, but there is a fear of eternity that is also missing. Choir is going to come. They're going to sing a song. But this, this fear of consequences, eternal consequences, I'm just shocked by what I see in people's lives. People that were once on fire for the Lord, people that once dedicated their lives, reached people for God, that they were on a slippery slope and have gotten to the point where they have totally even lost their fear, their reverence for the Lord, their fear of an eternity without the Lord. Renounce their faith, turn their back on the Lord. No fear. You know, the Bible says that when we get to that point, it's God will just turn us over. It's like having a reprobate mind. It's like becoming agnostic or atheist. You just, why should I fear a God I don't even believe in anymore? And that's where our society is heading right now. And it's sad. I'm pleading with you. If you're here today and you've lost your fear, your fear of what your eternity will be without the Lord. And let me just spell it out for you. The Bible says that if you don't know Jesus and you pass from this life to the next one, there will be weeping 
and gnashing of teeth. There will be torment and there will be anger like nothing you could ever imagine. Heaven and hell are real places. They are the only two eternal destinations. If you die tonight, you're going to one of those two places. The world that, that we live in as human beings, we're used to having seasons. There's spring and summer, fall and winter. There's a season where we're born and we grow up and we're children. There's a season where many of us get married and we have our own children. And seasons come and seasons go. And we've been so accustomed to seasons. We have seasons in life. But you know, the thought of seasons, that's not part of eternity. There are no seasons in eternity. Have you ever tried to wrap your mind around eternity? Just stop and think about it. A year becomes two years, becomes a hundred years, becomes a thousand years with no end in sight. And if your heart does not belong to Jesus, if you haven't accepted that grace that we were singing about earlier, your eternal destination is not a good one and it will never end. You know, my dad had a friend who worked at Port Authority for New York and New Jersey, was at dinner with him a few years ago. And he was there on 9-11 when the planes hit in lower Manhattan in the Twin Towers. Those planes hit, hit those buildings. And of course, there were tremendous explosions, gaping holes in the side of the buildings, people literally on fire. And people who were on fire made a conscious decision. Better for me to jump out of this building and in my life than to burn to death and beyond. How horrible must it be for you to be burning that you would rather jump out of a hundred story building and end your life than to be on fire. The thing is in eternity, there's no building to jump out of. There's no end. The anguish and the torment never, ever ends. I'm pleading with you today. There is not a thing on the face of this earth that is worth that for eternity. There is, there is not a, uh, the Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season, for a season, but there is no pleasure that is worth that torment, that is worth that anguish. There is no convenience in life that is worth that. I'm just going to do X, Y, Z because I feel it. And because somebody says that's okay. And so I, I'm just going to give myself over to that for, for what, 60, 70, 80, 90 years. Your life, the Bible says it's a vapor. Who cares if you have to live a little bit uncomfortably for 70 or 80 years to be in eternity with Jesus? It doesn't matter what kind of hardship we have to go through. And let's face it, being a Christian in the United States right now, yeah, maybe it's getting tougher, but it's still pretty easy. Living for the Lord here, following his ways, maybe you don't get everything you want all the time. Maybe you don't get to gratify every desire all the time what you wanna do, but who cares? What's the, what's the point of it? If you're gonna be in an eternity that is apart from the Lord, it isn't worth it. The cost does not warrant the return. 
I'm pleading with you today, whether you're here in person or you're watching this, give it up. Whatever that thing is that is causing you to turn your back on the Lord, give it up. It is not worth it. I'm pleading with you, give it up. Turn away from it. Whatever bitterness, maybe you saw uh, uh, some, some Christians that you were around and they weren't very authentic. Maybe they were hypocrites or whatever. Who cares? Cast them aside. Put your eyes on Jesus. Give up that root of bitterness that's keeping you away. Put your eyes on the Lord and live with him. It's not worth it for eternity. Give it up. Eternity is real and it will never end. And today is your opportunity to get it right with the Lord. The Bible says we are not promised tomorrow. Let me tell you, you're not promised getting home from here. You're not promised the next hour or the next minute. You're not even promised the next breath. While you still have life in your body, while your heart is still beating, accept the Lord today. The slippery slope that you're on will end in a way that I'm telling you, you never thought about. That's the sin trap. You, you put your finger in, you think I'm just gonna put a little bit in and before you know it, it's got your hand and your arm and it's just sucked you right on under. Don't give in to that. Give it up today. Your eternity is not worth it. Listen to the choir as they sing this song. love how when David came back to the Lord, there's a whole prayer recorded in Psalm 51, where you made it right with God. He recognized his mistake. And he said to the Lord, create in me a new heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me and restore to me the joy of my salvation. Maybe you need to pray that today. Make it right with the Lord and say, man, that was for me today. I need to get right with God. Would you stand with me today? We've been saying it over the past few weeks, and it's still true today. God's word to us all, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. The change we so desire to see in our world starts with us as the church leading in repentance. Maybe you need to get right with the Lord today. You need that same prayer David prayed. Lord, I'm sorry. I acknowledge I messed up. Created me a new heart, steadfast spirit. Let me have that joy I had once before. Would you pray with me today? Would you close your eyes? Father, we thank you today for your word to us. We thank you, Lord, that you are at work in us today. Lord, we pray today, God, as we would look at our heart today, all of us were thinking this morning, reflecting about where we are at in life, where we are at with you, most importantly. And Lord, maybe some of us, all of us, Lord, on a daily basis, need to come in a humble position before you and say, Lord, please forgive me. I'm sorry, Lord. Help me if I've lost my ear, give it back, Lord. If I've lost my tear, let my heart feel again. If I've lost my fear, God, let me revere you again. Lord, renew in me a steadfast spirit, Lord. The kind of spirit that even when things get difficult, I'll stay planted. That even when temptation comes, nothing will move me. That even when all the winds and the waves are rocky, I'll stay trusting in you, God. And Lord, today, maybe someone has been overcome by this 
temptation, this sin, and it's brought great sadness into their life or stolen joy out of their life. I pray today, God, restore the joy of salvation today, God. Let them experience the true power of what it means to be in a relationship with you today, Lord. God, it's not just a momentary decision. Lord, it's a lifetime of joy of serving you, God. So, Lord, may we humbly come to the throne of grace today, petitioning, asking, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. I want you to come. I want you to direct my life today, tomorrow, the next weeks and months to come, Lord. Guide me, Father. Guide me on the path to eternal life. And Lord, I thank you today for your word. I thank you, Jesus, this morning. Let's sing today as the choir sings. Maybe you need to pray. Maybe you need to be real with the Lord. Be real with him. Just talk to him today.